You ever met anybody like that? Anybody? No? Then you probably are those people in your neighborhood. You know, when I was growing up, they called that evangelism or something like that. Uh, And evangelism is defined as the spreading of the Christian gospel by preaching or personal witness. The second definition probably uh, defines those folks. It's zealous advocacy of a cause. And, you know, we don't really much use the term evangelism as much anymore. We still use it, but, and we still hear it, but we don't use it as much as at least that I'm familiar with. And, and when, when I was growing up, we use it all the time. And, but we still believe in that principle, right? I mean, we still believe in the idea that we are called to spread the gospel. We're called through some avenue, some way of communicating the gospel to, to share our story or to invite people to a place like this to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we've been talking, Trevor referenced it on the announcement video, but we've been talking over the last few weeks about inviting people to church. And some of you are here for the first time today. Um, and then others of you, you, you come, you come pretty regularly. And then, uh, you know, there's others of you, you're here all the time. And so all of us together, we've been kind of pointing towards next week, that next week is Easter Sunday and people will attend church on Easter, uh, statistically way more than any other time of the year. And so we want to try to leverage that just to, to get as many people here as possible to hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Because we do believe that it's life-changing. And not only that, we also believe that we have been challenged with a mission, all of us. We've been challenged with something that the Bible calls the Great Commission, or at least it's been labeled as the Great Commission, with the part that's in the Scripture. It's found in Matthew 28 19, and this is what it says. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Over the last several weeks when we've talked about this challenge, we've talked about sharing your Jesus story. We've talked about all of us have a Jesus story or we're a Jesus story in the making. And so we've just talked about how do we tell the story of God in us? What does that look like? The the next week we talked about really shining light in the culture. We talked about trying to find ways to be light and to take the light that God has given to us and go into the darkest places of our world, the darkest places of our community, the darkest places of our lives and shine light on the truth to expose truth there in the midst of darkness. And so today we're going to kind of look at this final piece of the challenge and really try to understand how we accomplish what it is that we've been called to accomplish. I mean, if God has called us to do this, if Jesus called his disciples, his followers to go into all the world, that sounds great. But then we've got to figure out how to actually get into all the world. If God really commanded us to live lives that honor him, then that sounds great in theory. But how do we actually live lives that honor him. How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to kind of live in a culture, in a world that's pulling for our time, our attention, and our hearts? And so I want us to turn to Acts chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, flip there, Acts chapter 1. If you go to the New Testament, so if you're kind of flipping through the Bible and you get to some words that look kind of weird, Malachi, Zechariah, just keep flipping. You're almost there. You get to names that you would know like Matthew, Mark, Luke. You're in the New Testament now. And when you get to the New Testament, the fifth book of the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the book of Acts. And Acts serves as kind of a hinge between the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the stories of the life of Jesus Christ. That's what those four books are. And then the book of Acts kind of connects the Gospels, those stories, to the rest of the New Testament. 
Because what the book of Acts does is it takes the followers of Jesus Christ, the people that were alive and walked with and listened to the, the, the teachings, they saw the miracles, and they were there when Jesus was, was doing those things. Jesus dies, we're going to read about that in a second. He dies, and then he is resurrected from the dead, and then he goes back to the Father. And then those who are left here, who kind of heard the message, they're left now to develop the early church. They're left to take what they've learned, what they've heard, and spread that throughout the known world. And so the rest of the New Testament is really about the development of those churches or letters that are written to the established churches of that day. And so Acts helps us to see that. So if you've ever read like 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, you've ever read um, maybe Romans, you, you've ever read any of those books that come, those letters that come later in the New Testament, if you were to read the book of Acts, you would see some of the story of the establishment of some of those churches and some of those people. So here's how we're going to do this today, okay? We haven't done this in a while. Um, but if you've got your kind of your worship guide there, on the back of that it says notes. And you've got a pen, you should have received that. You may want to jot some notes down. You may want to drop some things there. Um, because what we're going to do is instead of me reading like a really long passage of Scripture and then ranting on it and screaming and yelling for like an hour, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple of verses and then we're going to stop and talk about it for a little while. And then I'll read another couple of verses and we'll stop and talk about it for a little while. So Acts chapter 1 is where we're at, beginning in verse 3. Here's what it says. He presented, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So let's set the stage. Here's what happened. Jesus died and then he was placed into a tomb and then that tomb was, was empty. They came and they looked and he was no longer there. And then after that... He appeared to, Paul describes it later in the New Testament, we're going to reference this a little bit next week, but Paul describes that he, he appeared after his death, after his resurrection, he appeared to five, about 500 people. And so what we have here is we have kind of an acknowledgement of that, a summary of some of that. We see some of that at the end of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24 talks about some of that, his appearance to some folks and his teachings that happened there. And in Acts chapter 1, it says here that he presented himself to them, talking about his followers, his disciples, these people that had kind of tracked along with his ministry. And, he, and, and he, he proved to them that he was Jesus. Like he proved to them that he was who he had said he was. And he proved to him he was the same guy that they saw hanging on the cross. And so we see that, you know, in, in the previous part there in Luke, he had shown him kind of the nails, the nail piercings in his hand and his side. And he, he's kind of talking about it. So he's proving who he is. And then this is what it says, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not a big number guy. I know some of you may be like this number represents this and this number means this. And I'm not big there, but I do see some recurrences of the number 40 in Scripture, which I think are very important. The idea being that the number 40 is usually related to a time of preparation for something else. It's kind of preparation for what's to come. It's preparation for ministry. It's preparation for the work of God in and through me. We see in the Old Testament that there was 40 years that the children of Israel spent in the wilderness. They were being prepared. They were kind of being purged before they inhabited the promised land. We see that there was 40 days that Moses was up with God on Mount Sinai and he was receiving the law to bring back to the people to help establish the people into a people, into a nation that honored God. And we see in the, the beginning of several of the Gospels that Jesus was tempted for 40 days kind of out in the wilderness with, with the devil and he was tempted there so that his ministry could begin right after this process. So there was a preparation, kind of a, a solidifying of, of his ministry and his ministry calling prior to the time. That he did that. And what did he do during these 40 days? What did Jesus do with the disciples? He speaks to them about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is a phrase that's used a lot in the Gospels. 
It's used a lot in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because Jesus is talking, and Justin referenced it, I referenced it before our prayer, but it was, it was legitimately the thought of a lot of these people that watch Jesus. I mean, they're under the oppression of Rome, and then they hear about the Messiah that's to come. They hear about the Savior. They, have, they know the Old Testament scriptures that say that on the throne of King David, kind of Father David, on the throne of that, out of the line of Father Abraham, there's going to be this establishment of a kingdom. And so Jesus shows up and says that he is the fulfillment of all those prophecies. So it's not looking at those folks saying, man, how did you miss it? It's looking at them and saying, wow, we probably would have done the same thing. If we had been reading about the old, out of the Old Testament, out of the, all the scriptures that they had at that point, and we understood that there was to come a king to establish a kingdom, and a guy shows up and he proves that he is who he says he is, and he is the son of God, and he's, you know, he's, the, he's going to establish this kingdom, I'm thinking he's going to overthrow Rome and establish his kingdom here on earth. And, and so he, Jesus, as he's walking around, begins teaching about the kingdom of God. And he's talking to them. He's kind of leveraging their understanding to understand that there is a kingdom of God to come. Sometimes in scripture, it's references the kingdom of heaven. And so we understand that there's a kingdom to come. But in the book of Acts, that phrase is only used five times. Kingdom of God is only used five times. Now, why? Because they've seen that Jesus left. He's no longer here to set up his kingdom. Now, he had talked about the kingdom to come, but he's teaching about it here. And now what they start talking about in the book of Acts is they start talking about the gospel, the gospel message. You know, that you should repent and be baptized. The gospel, the good news is this idea that Jesus came, the son of God came to earth and he lived and he died for the forgiveness of sins and he was resurrected and he returned back to the father and he is coming back one day. And when he comes back, he will establish his kingdom. So there was no longer any need to really make the, the kind of center point of the presentation of the gospel about the kingdom of God because that was what was to come. But let's make it about the gospel message so that people would receive the gospel and be able to be a part of the kingdom when it comes to pass. Verse 4 in Acts chapter 1. Let's move on. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now that phrase in verse 4 there that says the promise of the Father references Luke chapter 24 Verse 49, when Jesus said, this is what he says, it's not going to be on the screen. Luke 24, 49, it says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So I'm sending the promise of the father, but stay in the city until, so the, the fulfillment of that promise is to come, the promise is to come, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now this came to pass. In the next chapter, Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, we see that these people were meeting together in the upper room there. They were praying. They were doing what Jesus has asked them to do. They're staying in Jerusalem. And in that moment, one of those days, as they're up there in the upper room, the power of the Holy Spirit of God comes, descends upon that room, and they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they walk out of that place speaking in other tongues, and they speak in the languages of the people that were in Jerusalem that, at that time for a feast. And so we understand that the fulfillment of what Jesus is saying to them here in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And that's really important for us to see. So he's promised us the promise of the Father and it comes to pass. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own 
authority. So they're still asking about the earthly kingdom. Because, I mean, again, I, I, don't, I, used to, I used to make fun of these people. I used to make fun of the disciples. Like, man, how, why do they think these dumb things? How did they do that? But now I really see, like, I would probably do the exact same thing. Because if a guy shows up, he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about a kingdom being established. He goes to the cross. He dies. He's resurrected from the dead. And now he's talking to us about the kingdom again. I'm thinking, okay, he's proven that he is who he said. And now he's really going to make this thing happen. He's going to ascend to the throne. And man, he's going to overthrow Rome and establish his kingdom. And I've been pretty close to him while he's been here. So I'm probably going to have a pretty high job in this new you know, kingdom, new establishment. And so I'm looking at him going, hey, is now the time? Like, or, or is this like, when, when do we kind of, when do we march on the city? Like, when do we take up weapons? When does this happen? Like, you've already shown you're really powerful to come back to life. So now, like, when do we take this thing? When do we establish our kingdom? And Jesus says... Hey, listen, the father has fixed all of that by his authority. And it's not for you to know. He told us, I think it's in in, in the book of Mark. I think it's maybe Mark 12, that even he is kind of removed from knowing the time that God is going to establish his kingdom. Even he is removed from, from the understanding of saying, hey, while I'm here on earth, you know, I'm just I'm leaving that to the father. That's the father's business. His authority has fixed when the time and when the season comes to establish authority. And so I think like, you know, in my, my kids, we, we took a trip this weekend. We went to a wedding. My, my oldest son was a, a ring bearer in a wedding. And so, you know, anytime we get in the car, I mean, it's almost cliche, but it really does happen in our car. Maybe it happens in yours if you have kids, but, you know, are we there yet? And it's like, no, we're still sitting in the driveway. You can still see our house. Like we are not there yet. That's your bedroom and that window right there, right? But I, I picture the disciples looking at Jesus saying like, is the kingdom here yet? Like, is it here yet? Is it, is it time? Is it now? Are we, is this the point now? And we're, we're there. And Jesus like responds the way that I, I think I would know. No, um, we're, we're not, it's not, not now. I, I think I've been saying this for a while here. Like the whole, I'm, I just raised from the dead. Why don't we talk about that for a little while? I mean, that's a big deal, right? <laughs> we are not there yet. It's not time for the kingdom on earth yet. Let's focus on the important things. Here, look at the nail scars again. Let's just look at the nail scars. This is important. Focus, focus, right? I kind of pictured you. He's much more compassionate than I am. Aren't we all thankful for that? But I kind of, I kind of picture him saying, like, listen, we'll get to that when we get there. Like my dad used to say when I would ask that, like, hey, are we there yet? And he's like, we've never been closer than we are right now. <laughs> really? Because I'm only six and I realize that you're being sarcastic. And I don't know that Jesus had sarcasm in his vocabulary, but I kind of picture him saying, listen, don't focus on that right now. Like, let's enjoy the journey and let's not worry and wonder if we're at the destination yet. Right. I don't want to pull too much from Scripture, but I kind of get that. Listen, it's not for you to know. Like when we get there, you'll know. We'll say the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. But until then, let's just be a part of the journey. The Father has fixed that through his own authority. And then we get to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Some of you just had a shiver go through your body. Because this is kind of a Christian core verse. It's kind of a, a Pentecostal, you know, hey, we're going to point to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, and we're going to read it and we're going to talk about this for a little while. And here's where we're going to be for a little while. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
There were three things, I think all preachers have to have three things, but there were three things that kind of jump out at me when I read this. And it's not anything specific that necessarily comes out of the verse. It's really kind of observations about this verse in the context of Scripture. The first one is this, that this verse, Acts 1-8, cannot be separated from Acts 1, verses 6 and 7. And here's what I mean. Verses 6 and 7 we just read. So when they had come together, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, hey, that's the Father's authority. You'll know when you know. And then Jesus gives them this this kind of hold on to this. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And here's what's going to happen when you receive power. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so here's kind of, this is what he turns it back to say, in order for my kingdom to be established, because they asked about the restoration of Israel. They didn't ask about the kingdom of God, even though that's what he had been teaching about, according to the first few verses. They asked about, is now when you're going to kind of restore Israel, restore the kingdom of Israel, the thing that affects us the most. And he turns it and doesn't focus on Israel. He focuses on the world. And he says this. He says, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he's really kind of pointing to say, in order for my kingdom to actually be established, it includes a mission for the whole world and not just the kingdom that you're worried about that affects you. Now, this speaks to me because I am most concerned usually with establishing my own kingdom. And I don't mean that literally. Like there's not going to be a Jeremy land somewhere else. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying I am usually focused on the things that affect me. I'm usually focused on and worried about in my relationship with God. God, how is this going to affect, you know, me, Jeremy world, right? The thing that I'm focused on, kind of this little cubicle right here that I live in. How does life affect me? How does all that's going on in the world affect me? I watch the news. I see the economic downturn. I'm not really worried about how it does anything to anybody except what it does to my checking account. Right. I see wars and rumors of wars and all the things that we see going on. And I think, wow, is it close to Canton yet? Right. Does anybody have a nuclear weapon that can point towards Holly Springs? Because then I'm going to get worried. And I realize this makes me a terrible person. And none of you think any of these things. But these are extreme examples of saying, usually what I do is I filter everything that I experience in life through. How does this affect me? And the disciples, they're standing with Jesus, who has been raised from the dead. And what are they asking about? The restoration of the kingdom that they're a part of. Like they're not concerned that even though he's been talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, even though he's been preaching and proclaiming that that all can be saved. What they're focused on is, okay, now do you have enough credibility with those that we're going to come in contact with to say that you're going to restore the kingdom. And, and I wrote this down again. This is just for me. This is kind of the conviction on me. And I'm sure it probably won't connect to you. But this is what I wrote. It says, it's as if I'm standing here saying, Jesus, is now the time that my problems get fixed? And he replies, only God knows. But you have the ability to help fix other people's problems. Right? Because what does he say? You're asking about the kingdom, the restoration of Israel. And here's what I'm going to say. While we're waiting on God's timing for that, I want you to be missionaries to the whole world so that my kingdom can expand to include everybody that needs the gospel. So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that's bigger than your perspective about how this affects you. 
And so as I'm worried and I'm thinking, man, how how does this affect me? What's this going to do in my life? Is it time to fix my problems now? I don't know. God knows. And that's coming. But you have the ability to impact the lives of others. The second thing that Acts 1 and 8 really kind of shows about Scripture to us is it really serves as the theme verse or the thesis of the entire book of Acts. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. If you look at the way that the book of Acts, all 28 chapters are laid out, Jerusalem is the focus and the centerpiece of Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 7. Jerusalem, Acts 1, 7. 8 through 12 is Judea and Samaria. You can read the stories there. It's kind of the centerpiece, the focal point, the the setting for those stories, Acts 8 through 12. And then when you get to Acts chapter 13 through the end of the book of Acts, which goes through chapter 28, you see the the message of the gospel and the expansion of of the message expand out of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now, in that day, a lot of the understanding of that would have been, how does this affect Rome? The kingdom of Rome, the empire of the Romans. And so the ends of the earth would have been interpreted probably because we see Acts 13 through 28 really focus a lot and come back to and come out of Rome. But through the Old Testament, we understand, too, that there's an openness and an understanding that God's message is for all the nations of the world. The original blessing of God to Abraham was that you, I'm going to bless you so that you can bless and your descendants can bless all the nations of the world. And so this was not something that was just confined here. So it serves as kind of the thesis for the entire book of Acts. And the third thing that kind of jumps out to me is that Jesus says that we will receive what we need to carry out what he's called us to do. He says, you're going to be my witnesses to the entire world to help establish my kingdom. And how are you going to do that? Because I'm going to give you the power to do it. The Holy Spirit is coming. He will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses couple of things. One's a soapbox that will offend some of us in the room, and another one is very practical that all of us can relate to. But a lot of people I know say that they have the power of the Holy Spirit and are not witnesses. I think we've missed the point. If the Holy Spirit is only a self-focused, how does this affect me? How does this make me feel? Then we are not connected to the idea that Jesus presents in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when he says, you're going to receive power and you will be my witnesses. You will be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit to spread the message of the gospel. And what happens is we gather in settings like this. We feel, F-E-E-L, the power of the Holy Spirit in and on and through our lives in moments like these. And we leave this place and forget to tell anybody about it. Right? Because we, we say, hey, I, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit, which only affects me when the band hits a certain chord. They go into the bridge and change keys and I feel it. F-E-E-L. Or I can be filled, F-I-L-L, with the power of the Holy Spirit. So much so that when I leave this place and take it out into the darkness of the culture, like we talked about last week, it just spills out of me and it shines light and the power helps me to be an eyewitness to what God has done in my life to affect those around me. The second thing that I see in this part that's very kind of applicable to all of us because I've been in this frustrated place is have you ever been asked to do a job and you didn't feel like you'd been given the tools to, to accomplish it? Right? Like your job is, hey, I want you to sit here and I want you to staple all of these sheets together. But somebody forgot to put staples in the stapler that they gave you. Anybody ever been there? Or it's like, hey, you need to fill out this form, but you have to do it with a number two pencil and all you've got is a blue ink pen. Right? Or it's like, you know, your wife hypothetically says, I want you to build a frame for a map that we have at our house now, hypothetically. 
Um, so I want you to do this, but in order to, hypothetically, I am to, I don't know why you're laughing. This is totally hypothetical. And yet you don't have the clamps that you need to hold the wood together or a sawhorse. Not even two, just one. Just you're going to lean it on the one sawhorse and hope you can drill it, right? Hypothetically. That's not my wife. She let me go buy clamps at Home Depot. It was like my birthday, right? <laughs> Hypothetically, you are doing this project and don't have the tools that you need to do it, right? But that's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says, you have a job, you have a mission that I want you to accomplish to go into all the world and witness and be, you know, kind of in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, to witness to the, to the people of the world, the gospel, this life-changing, transforming message And guess what? I'm going to give you the tools. If this is the tool, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Here you go. Hands it off. Right? You have what you need to go and accomplish what I've called you to do. I'm putting staplers, staples in your stapler. I'm giving you a number two pencil. You got the sawhorses and the clamp. You do the job and I have supplied you with everything that you need to accomplish it. So this is New Testament. This is what we read in the book of Acts, New Testament. I want us to jump to the Old Testament very, very, very quickly in the book of Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 3 and then skip to verse 9. This is what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, the Jordan River, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to you, the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you just as I promised to Moses. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this is what God says to Joshua, go over the Jordan River and take the land. He's fulfilling a promise that he established with Moses before Moses dies. And he assures Joshua, anywhere you put your foot, that's your land. Anywhere that you step, that's mine. I claim it. God has already said, this is my land. And I love verse 9. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He gives Joshua a mission. Go and take the land. Right? He gives him, hey, you're supposed to go and do this. And what does he give Joshua to accomplish the mission? Anybody know? Himself. Becky wins a donut. He gives Joshua himself. He says, Go and take the land, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He, he says to Joshua, listen, you're going to go. And in, in a, little, a couple verses later, he's telling Joshua, here's how you're going to do it. Send the, the Ark of the Covenant and let the people get in behind that because you've never been this way before. He's saying, I'm going to lead you. But he says, I'm going to go with you. I'm with you wherever you go. So Joshua now has everything that he needs for the mission. There are countless examples in Scripture of this, but does this sound familiar at all? Jesus gives his followers a mission in Matthew 28, 19. It's where we started today. I want them to throw this back up on the screen. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, whoa, it's there again. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. He says, Joshua, go take the land, and I'm with you. Jesus says to his disciples, you go and make disciples of all nations, and I'm with you. 
He says to his followers after the resurrection, you go into all the world and be my witnesses. And the Holy Spirit, who is God, will be with you. It's his power that allows you to accomplish what I've called you to do. And so we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about this challenge to make disciples, to tell our Jesus story, to go into all the world, to invite people to church, to shine the light in the darkness. We've talked about all these incredible things, and, and we probably could have started here, but we didn't, so we're going to end here. The way that you accomplish what God has asked you to accomplish, what he's called you to accomplish, is that you understand that God is with you in the midst of that. God's walking with you. He's equipped you. You hold in your hands what you need. You've got the power. You've got the, 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 the energy source to do what you need to do. God's presence that we sang about is with you when you go to share your Jesus story. When you're, when you're worried about it and you're thinking, how do I tell this guy on my job? How do I tell this next door neighbor lady? Don't do it like the video, please, dear God, don't do that. If you do, tell him you go to another church. But I mean, like, did I say that? I'm sorry. But you say, hey, when I go do that, I'm taking the power of God. I'm taking the presence of God with me. Because that was his promise. That was his promise. And I want to read this, and I want to, I want to read it quickly and talk about something, and then we're going to close with prayer. But Acts chapter 1, where we, where we finished a minute ago in verse 8, I want you to read the next three verses, beginning in verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same manner as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus gives this mission, go into all the world. He says, you'll be my witnesses all over the world. And then he leaves. Doesn't seem fair, does it? Can you imagine the disciples? You, you don't really have to imagine. You can read it. It's right there. They're left just gazing up into heaven. Where'd you go? Like, how are you going to tell us to go into all the world and then leave? What are we supposed to do with that? You think he's coming back now? Like he disappeared once and came back, and maybe he's coming back again. And then just, what, what do we do with this? You ever been there? God, you've called me to do this, and I, are you here? Are you, are you with me in this? Like, I know you called me, and I, I know... I know, I mean, like, Jeremy's been really convincing the last few weeks. I think I am supposed to actually talk about what God's doing in my life at some point. But uh, how do I... Are you going to go with me when I go do that? Right? And then these two white-robed men, I don't, I don't know that they were white guys, I'm saying their robes were white. They appear and they say, hey, the same way you saw him go, one day he's coming back in that same cloud. The kingdom that you've been asking about, that's a sign that it's time. Like when you see him come, like that's the beginning of that. That we're, we're coming there. We're getting there. I want to ask the band to come. And here's, here's what this looks like for you and for me. You and I definitely have a mission. We have a mission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world, make disciples. Go and be his witnesses. But even beyond just that, we, we're really called to live lives that honor God. We're called to do and be all that he wants us to do and be. We're called to 
The great commandment, love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We're called to lead our families well. In Ephesians, men, you're called to love your wives as Christ loved the church. In Ephesians, women, you're called to submit to your husbands out of reverence for Christ. Like we're called to live these lives. We're called to shine light into the darkness to expose truth. We're called to share our Jesus stories. And sometimes that can feel a little overwhelming. Sometimes we can feel like, how am I going to do all this? How do I juggle all the balls that I'm supposed to juggle? How do I coach the team and work the job and, and go do this and extracurricular and get the kids here and go do this and spend time with my spouse and come to church and don't be late for church and serve at church and serve in the classroom and be on the PTA? And how do I do it all? Sometimes we're just kind of left peering like, God, are you going to help me with this? Like, are you, am I alone in this endeavor? Am I, in, in my attempt to do all that I think you've called me to do, like, are you in this thing with me? And I would point you to the two things that we read today that he says, hey, I'm going to go with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, I'm going to go with you to the ends of the age. God does and he says to you what he said to Joshua. God does and he says to you today what he said through his son Jesus Christ to his followers. That what I've called you to do, what I've called you to be, what I want you to do with your lives, I'm not sending you out there alone. We even read last week in John chapter 17 when Jesus was praying to the Father about me and you. He said, just as you've sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world. But the very next, or like the ver- very next verse says that he's equipping us with the truth and the truth is his word. He says, yeah, I'm not calling you to go anywhere by yourself. And so here's what we're going to do today. The band's going to sing. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have an opportunity. We, we've been in the last several weeks, really since the beginning of the year, offering this opportunity during our time of worship. But we knew we were headed here today. And so really, this is an open invitation for you to come and to pray with our altar ministry team as they just pray with you, agree with you about what God may be doing in your life. But there is a specific call as a part of this. Because some of you, you're just kind of maybe peering up into heaven or you're peering out into the world and you're just looking for some purpose and identity that makes sense of all this. You're looking for Jesus and you may not even know you're looking for him. You need Jesus to come and to be your savior. You're not even worried about a kingdom being established on earth. You just need a kingdom in your heart that reflects who he is. To make sense out of your identity and the lack of identity and purpose. And you're looking for acceptance and forgiveness and love that is unconditional. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And some of you, you go, yeah, that's me. I'm there. Guess what? We all are. The word all implies all of us. And so today you, you need to respond because you need Jesus. Some of you, you say, I've got Jesus. I, I, I'm saved. He's in my heart. I prayed a prayer. I came to an altar. I prayed in my house, whatever. I've got that. But I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in and through and at work in me so that I can do what God's calling me to accomplish, to be witnesses on my job and in my kids' schools and in our neighborhood and wherever it is that I go. I just, want, I just need the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witness. Some of you say, hey, I, I need, we sang about it, but I need some restoration in my marriage. I need some hearts to be mended here in the presence of Jehovah. 
Some of you say, listen, I got troubles in my life, troubles in my job, troubles in my money. Whatever it is, you say, hey, I just need those troubles to vanish. I realize that there may be consequences and I may have to make decisions when I leave this place. But in this moment, I just need to kind of press into the presence of God and just have an understanding when I leave here that God's walking out of here with me. I'm not fighting alone. I'm not walking this alone. So I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. I want to ask our altar ministry team to come and be ready to pray with those who respond in this moment. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's trying to figure out who's going to respond, who's walking to the front. The reality is that all of us have need of this. Maybe today some of us just feel more comfortable responding in this way. But we want to take the opportunity just for a moment to say, hey, listen, you're not alone in this. No matter what's going on in your life, you're not alone. You're not walking this journey alone. God is with you. God has promised he'll go with you. We want to pray for you. We want to support you. We want to love on you. We want you to know when you leave this place that you're not walking out of this place by yourself. You take with you the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You take with you the very presence of God. And so today we just want you, if you feel led, you feel comfortable, you just want to pray with somebody. These folks are here. I'm going to pray a simple, short prayer. When I say amen, if you want to come and pray here, the band's going to lead us in a song. I'll come back up and close us in just a moment. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the timeless truth of your word. And today, God, we just thank you that we know that when we leave this place, we don't leave here alone. We don't leave this place by ourselves. We take you with us. And so today, if there are people in this room that they need to know that they're in relationship with you. They need to ask you to be the forgiver of their sins, the savior of their life, the Lord of their life, to lead in God and direct them. Would you allow them to stand and come and pray and agree with these here? Maybe they need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives to be the witnesses that you've called them to be, to fulfill what you've called them to do with their lives. Maybe they need peace in their life, joy in their life. They need restoration in relationships. They need a sense of your presence on their job. Whatever it is, God, I pray that in the next few minutes we would understand that your presence is real, it's with us, it's powerful, and it goes with us. Let us respond with courage. Don't let anything distract us in the next few moments. Don't let anything talk us out of this. If we need to grab somebody by the hand and ask them to come down with us, God, let us respond. Lean into your presence. Pray with those who can agree with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altars are open. I encourage you to come and pray. God, we... uh... We run, we run dry sometimes. We run on empty sometimes. Sometimes we're not really sure how we're going to make it. We're not really sure how we're going to accomplish all that we're attempting to accomplish with our lives. And so we thank you, God, that you're a God who doesn't run dry, that you are our sustainer. It was your intent that you would satisfy us. And that God, being in your presence, whether that's here or somewhere else, God, being in your presence is enough. Taking our eyes off the things that we face and putting our eyes on you is enough. It doesn't negate the realities of our present situation, but God, it's enough. So help us to live in that. Help us when we leave this place to take your presence with us. Just Your presence goes with us. I'm talking about an acknowledgement of our hearts and lives. It says, hey, I'm walking with a God who said he would never leave me or forsake me. 
I'm walking with a God who said he would be with me to the ends of the age. I'm walking with a God who said he would equip me to do all that I need to do to fulfill the mission that he's called me to. We thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.